back to the Black Menace Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Weaver, and I'm here with my other host. Nate Bird. Happy to be on the show, as always. Yes, yes. We're super excited for today. Um, before we jump into who we have here uh, to interview with us, I'm going to do our Menace moment. And I was inspired by something I saw on social media just um, talking about this person. Uh, they, are an art, they are an artist, a singer, and um, I'm going to talk about Lizzo today. And so interesting facts about her that doing this that I didn't know. Um, Lizzo's actual name is Melissa Vivian Jefferson, and she was born in Detroit, Michigan on April 23rd in 1988. So her birthday is coming up, tourist season. Hello, shout out to all the tourists. Um, and uh, growing up, Lizzo's family was part of a Pentecostal church. And so because of that, that is... Um, kind of what introduced Lizzo to music and singing. And she says that she grew up listening to Elton John, Queen Latifah, um, and Stevie Wonder. And then when she was nine, her family moved to Houston, Texas. Um, and that's when she started to learn more about hip hop, um, which she talks about more specifically Destiny's Child and Missy Elliott kind of influencing her. And if you guys saw when she won a Grammy most recently, she talked about how Beyonce inspired her, which is kind of cool to really influential people in music, um, you know, uh, talking about who influenced them and, and how Beyonce is still in the game. Um, in fifth grade, Lizzo started playing um, the flute and she ended up being in her high school marching band and through um, flute, that's how she also got to school. She received a scholarship to go to the University of Houston where she studied music performance. And then she initially planned, um, excuse me, to continue her studies at the Paris Conservatory and eventually playing concert halls. Um, but she also wanted to still focus on kind of rapping um, while she was also, you know, being classically trained and all this music. Um, and so she also started to perform uh, different things, music while she was in school. And um, I think one of the things they talked about um, in her information was she performed on this radio program called Fresh Air. Um, and that was something that really inspired her and pushed her to continue to not just pursue her degree, but also pursue the other parts of music that she wanted to be a part of. Um, so she continued to play her flute, but then she joined like a prog rock band, which is interesting. Like, I'm like, what? I didn't it know Lizzo did that. Exactly. And so she would um, be doing this while she was also again in college doing this like classically trained being a flutist which is kind of cool to me um and then she ended up being a part of a girl group for a little bit um and then she ended up producing her first album called lizzo's banger and it came out in 2013 through an independent label and she was also living in minnesota at this time um yes and then she eventually appeared on a local rock album called I cannot pronounce it and I'm not even gonna try. So I'll put it somewhere. I don't know. Um but it's 24. I just know that I can't pronounce it and I'm not even gonna like try to butcher it. Just try and spell it. P-L-E-C-T-R-U-M-E-L-E-C-T-R-U. And it's like, yeah. Yeah. Hold on. What? Yeah, exactly. I'm like, um anyway, she talked about how this um album that she was featured on. Uh, was influenced a lot by Prince and I didn't realize through this that rock had influenced Lizzo so much in her career going into hip-hop um, but then soon after that 
Um, she produced another small album called Big Girl, Small World in 2015. And then she eventually assigned signed to Atlanta Records um, after she moved to Los Angeles. And then she released her EP Coconut Oil in 2016. Um, and then she started, you know, performing more. And she actually opened for Florence and the Machine, which is kind of random to me. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's kind of random considering the genre of music that she's in. Um, and then her single, The Truth Hurts, came out in 2017. Um, and that was kind of like what broke her out to like mainstream and what people knew her as um and so it's it's kind of cool and then her and then it's her album uh no the song because i love you no yeah that was her first album actually uh that really is also what put her out on the map and kind of what people knew her as and um it made it to the billboard top 10 um and the tour album sold out completely which is kind of cool and so really another part of lizzo's story that i think makes her kind of be a menace is just the way that she is breaking the stereotypes when it comes to like self-image and body positivity and what she represents as you know a more brown skin woman of a plus who's plus size and just is you know i'm pretty sure lizzo is vegan i don't know this for sure but she she eats very healthy and she lives like a very healthy lifestyle um which if you follow her on tiktok you can see this but also showing that like bigger people do eat healthy and live healthy and like you can be healthy at different sizes. And so um, that's something that I think that she's really known for, not just for her musical talents, but also just like what she stands for and what she represents. Um, and she also, um, in her most recent tour, she played her flute a lot, which I thought was really cool, bringing in those aspects from what kind of started her into music and um, being trained and she would perform that, which takes a lot of cardio and very good stamina to be able to perform, mm -hmm. dance, because um, she would perform dances as well. And um, something that I really like is her, all of her backup dancers are women of various sizes, right? You know, mm -hmm. historically there's a specific body type that gets cast and Lizzo, um, you know, she, she said, I want big girls on tour with me and, and brings them on. And I love that. And yeah. also, and they be having the cardio too. Like I watched her perform at the Grammys no. and she was moving. I was like, man, I, look, don't even, that dance routine is not for me. Like, exactly. Cardio. That's how I feel too. I'm like, I'm getting out of breath thinking about it. Like, um, I, I'm not prepared to do something like that off the fly. And, um, also what I, she won an award. Um, recently and what I really thought if you guys have seen the the video I encourage everyone to go watch it she instead of kind of accepting the award for herself she takes an opportunity to honor 10 women um, a lot of them are BIPOC women in different various communities that are helping you know different communities in their local areas and nationally and I just think that's a reflection of her ability and to use her platform to not just talk about what she cares about but to elevate the voices of um, people you know she talked about Native American women people who were had domestic violence situations, sexual assault, um, and different women who obviously who advocate for black people and Latino um, people if they're immigrants. And so I just really, really love that. So Lizzo is great. I think what she, I love her music, number one, but also I love that she's not just focusing on her music, but using her influence to bring awareness to important issues that are historically not talked about and is changing the narrative of what is seen as attractive, what is seen as successful, what um beauty looks like and and i love that i like that that's great i found i found the name of that album and i'm gonna try it oh i think gosh. it's i think it's plectrum electrum okay thank I think you that's how you pronounce it plectrum electrum but let's see see this is why we have two of us um constraints uh -huh. and that is nate's and i love that thank yeah, you although I, pro I feel like alexia probably could have gotten it too 
I don't know. I just kind of thought that they were throwing letters together, to be honest. Yeah, because it was a lot. Like, spelling it out. Also, side note, whenever people are like, oh, what is this word? My mom would always be like, spell it to me as a kid, like when I didn't know. And I'm like, how? How can you really know what that word is by spelling it out? Like, my brain does not work that way. Yeah, I'm not no, going to lie. When I, you spelled it, that didn't, I thought you was just saying, I thought you were reading like an eye test chart or but something. But I was being serious. And you saw that. That's why. <laughs> we shall move on to introducing our guest today that we have. Um, I'll just say we have Alexia here with us. I won't steal much of your thunder, but go ahead and give uh, just the listeners a short little introduction into who you are before we you know, start asking you some questions. Hi, my name is Alexia. I go by Hot Weird Girl on TikTok and YouTube, girl with a zero, like girl from um, Despicable Me. I make a range of content on TikTok, but right now I'm really focused on feminism and empowering women in ways that isn't focused on extracting money from them. I think that's something that's really missing is like an actual organic desire to help people. It's not a femininity course or hawking them products in the sake of beauty standard that's something that's really important to me right now love that yeah that's really interesting could you could you kind of explain more about what you mean by like not extracting money from them so i think because we live in late stage capitalism it's so hard to extract what can actually be empowering versus what brands have figured out can also be empowering to their bottom line and right now I'm just seeing a lot of like wellness content for instance, since we're talking about like Lizzo and healthy at every size, true health advice doesn't have to be cost prohibitive, like just doing small movements mm-hmm. every day. And well, I guess it is, let me adjust myself. Eating healthy can be cost prohibitive depending on where you live in the United States. This is true, but um, little things like you don't have to buy a $40 cleanser to have clear skin. You can get clear skin with an $8 cleanser. So it's just things like trying to convince women that empowerment comes through products instead of fighting the patriarchal system that makes you think we need those products in the first place. And I love shopping, but you know, there's a point where we're definitely being manipulated. Yes. That makes a lot of sense. And you know, that kind of like hearing you explain that, it puts some of your your TikTok videos into perspective. So for instance, um, I'm a bit of like a, a fitness buff myself, or you know, I, I kind of grew up with fitness. Um, and then I'm kind of like rediscovering it now. Um, but I noticed that you had posted a couple of videos talking about like L-glutamine and how there's kind of a trend where people are taking L-glutamine as like a weight loss supplement and stuff like that. And you were you were pointing out that that's not really what it's for and that's not what it's going to like help you with. So hearing you right. kind of explain that makes a lot more sense. I think that Amazon Storefront presented a unique opportunity for people who no influence to suddenly attempt to get the monetary gain of becoming an influencer because I've never purchased from a storefront and I'll die on that spiteful little hill. But supposedly you can get a kickback um, if people purchase your products or if they purchase they do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They use like that link. Oh my God. I hate, oh, this wonderful dream product link in bio. And then it's an acrylic piece of shit. Can I swear? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> say whatever yeah, you it's want. It's an acrylic piece of shit. It, drives me nuts but l-glutamine because everyone's in this um you know trying to lose weight but we're also not talking about weight loss with weight loss we're calling it things like anti-bloat which is a whole separate topic mm-hmm. people are just reading off what's clearly the same script to try to get someone to buy their ten dollar l-glutamine supplements through their link and i'm 
I think that one of the videos you're referencing is this whole anti-bloat thing. Yeah. I saw a girl make a video saying she lost 10 pounds of bloat. That was fat, which is fine. But you don't bloat and gain like 10 pounds unless you have a serious medical issue, right. which yeah. you don't have. So it, it's just very ridiculous the way that we're peddled health and wellness and the way that everyday people have taken on that line role that influencers sometimes adopt mm -hmm. without having the influence. Yeah. And sorry, I wanted to just add to yeah, that. I think it's interesting about like influencing, um, just because I know a lot about hair and that's like a lot of content that I consume personally. There's this girl I follow on YouTube. She's like at like went to cosmetology school, knows hair science, like all this stuff. And um, the same can be said, like, when it comes to hair and, like, educating Black women on their hair. It's like, no, like, just because something works for you and you have one experience, like, everyday ordinary people, it's not that they aren't experts and you can't share, like, your experience or what has worked for you. But also, we need to be honest about, like, there is a science and there is people who are experts who know about things. Also, something that really bugs me on the Internet, sorry, is people giving skincare advice. I struggle with cystic acne. Um, heavily. If you can't tell, if you look close enough onto the camera, you will see my scars. And so I get super bugged by people giving advice online because I'm like, this is great for people who have very great skin. Like if you have no problems, all of this is very applicable to someone with normal skin, which is when you're having hormonal acne, which is a lot of women in our 20s, that's when we experience hormonal imbalance. Um, that's not going to help you. You know what I mean? Like you need to maybe go to a dermatologist or go to an esthetician, someone who actually has studied skin rather than listen to someone who's saying, put this on your skin and use all these expensive products. When in reality, my prescription medication that I get from, you know, my uh, dermatologist, I use two products and that is $40 like every two months. You know what right. I mean? Like it's not that expensive. Um, and so it's just very interesting that that is what, Anyhow, so yes, I feel you, and um, it bugs me when we don't have people who are experts speaking on things. Just because you get a lot of likes does not mean what someone's saying is valid, nor yeah. uh, and, and it has no backing. I'm like, who, who, but like, just because you make a nice aesthetic video and it's able to be consumed well, people believe what you're saying. You can speak well. That doesn't mean that you know what you're talking about. Yeah. Did you put? bananas and mayo in your hair thinking it was a protein treat no i have not done that because i was i was not on that trend thankfully i did not do that <laughs> got me so bad when i was like 13 i was yes. like oh, this is gonna make my parents like are you having a psychotic break i was like no you don't understand like yeah <laughs> bananas and mayo is a protein treatment that's wild well yeah, yeah. And what's weird about that, sorry, protein, your hair is never protein deficient. This is a girl that I follow who's actually like knows well, your hair is never protein deficient. And like washing and conditioning your hair is what evens out the protein in your hair. It is not like putting protein this, protein that. It's like if you had something very strange, like where you're dyeing your hair, putting heat on your hair, adding other chemicals to imbalance your hair, yes, you're going to have a protein deficiency. But if you do not have anything like that in your hair, your hair doesn't just like need a protein balance. Like... I do protein treatments every couple months because I have bleach in my hair. But like, if you don't have that, you don't need to be doing this. My hair has no protein. Like, no, that is, that's not how it works. I just learned that right now. That's good. I recommend her name is Mo's hair. She's on YouTube. She's an OG. She looks like 30 years old, but she's 40 something, almost 50. That's, you know, she's one of those types of people who knows what's going on. Um, she's amazing. I highly recommend Yeah, the old school. 
yeah, she's old school. <laughs> yeah, that sounds interesting. That's cool. And it's good because I feel like there's not enough people that actually know what they're talking about now. Like, have y'all ever heard of uh, the Liver King? You know what I'm talking about? No. Yes. Okay, you, okay, you know who he is. He's this big, like, super yeah. muscular uh, white guy, big, like a beard, you know, just kind of like the epitome of, like, oh, I'm, I'm a caveman and, like, I have this ancient, you know, caveman physique or whatever. And he would make videos of himself eating, like, raw meat on, you know, on TikTok. Um, so you just see him there. He's, like, chowing down on a raw steak or eating raw liver because he claimed that, like, eating raw liver was what helped him maintain his physique. And I think he's in his early 40s or maybe mid-40s, something like that. But, um, you know, come to, to find out, he's been exposed through some, like, an email chain or something like that. Now he's getting hit with a lawsuit because he's been taking steroids this whole time. And so his physique yep. is not natural at all, but there's these people out here who are like eating raw liver and doing all these things that he's telling them to do, thinking that it's going to get them to the same place that he is and come to find out, you know, it's completely fake. And I feel like a lot of those those health products that people take, like, you know, whenever I play a little mobile game, I'll always get like uh, um, ads for like those CBD or THC weight loss gummies. And it's like mm -hmm. Oprah Photoshopped holding it. Like, oh, Oprah <laughs> recommends this. It's so bad. Like, just all that kind of stuff. And people really take those and think that it's going to do something when really it's like the small and simple things. Like, I think, Alexia, you made a video where you were just out taking a walk. Um, and I think the the like the purpose of the video, I think you were saying, like, if your 20s are boring, then you need to, like, do better. But yeah. you also talked about just kind of, like, varying things and, like, varying the, the exercises that you do, stuff like that. Yeah, I love... Um gyms don't work for me because I don't want to lift a weight. Like I've tried and, you know, I definitely want that, like that gym, butt, but I can't do it because I just don't have the will, but I love walking. You can walk incredible distances. You oh, can yeah. listen to a book. You can listen. Like I walk miles a day. It's my favorite form of exercise. That's Couldn't awesome. recommend it And walking, actually, I was watching a video on someone else. Um, they were talking about how walking is like low impact work, like, low impact cardio is actually like better long-term for mm -hmm. like weight loss because it's like less on your body, like less strain, less hard because like people who are bodybuilders, they end up having like physical problems because your body's not meant to do that high intensity of impact for extended periods of time. Yeah. And also it like balances the chemicals in your body better when you're moving, when you're walking and like low impact workouts allow for that actual change because you're like it's longer and it's like less strenuous on your body and it's like working your heart rate like it's just it's just better for you i'm not the expert obviously so i'm totally butchering it but i love walking as well i'm becoming i'm starting to walk way more because i'm trying to get back into working out and yeah. walking, has, walking has been the saving grace that i'm like if i can't get the urge to be like i want to go to the gym for an hour i know i can go walk for an hour exactly it's so nice. It's so nice. Plus, I feel like you could take a little different route outside or even yeah. like gross and snowy out, like a nice treadmill walk, just to yes. switch things up. Still good. Mm -hmm. Although I will say I prefer walking outside to walking on a treadmill. Yeah. True. Oh, yeah. For sure. I'm sure we could probably talk about like exercise and health and wellness and stuff yes. like that all day. But I kind of want to switch gears. Um, yes. And, and talk a little bit about kind of your passion for feminism and for advocacy for women. Alexia, what kind of, like, what got you to that point? What made you want to become an advocate um, for women's rights? And, and you know, what made you such a, a staunch feminist? Oh, that's a good question. Um, 
Okay, so I think I was always like this since I was a little kid. I was a big reader. Like, I love to read, and I grew up reading a lot. And so I think reading stories with empowered um, little girl protagonists, and then in those novels, they would sort of work through how unfair the world was, and that made me aware of how unfair the world was. Because I think I was in middle school the first time someone was like oh he's a man slut and I was like you should never say that like slut is not a gendered term I was like that's a bad term to call women mm. and I like tried to make everyone in my middle school sign pamphlets about it so I, I don't know when it really started I just I get frustrated and I feel sad that not everyone has an awareness of how binding the patriarchy is on all of our lives and it I want to tell other people because I think it makes you less miserable even to know things, to know that like you are not getting what you want in relationships because you're a bad person. It's because in a heterosexual relationship, you're not conditioned to be loved as anything more than a servant and you should demand more for yourself. And there are people that can give you that, but you'll never find those people if you don't know how you're being oppressed. And so I just wish other people could experience that joy of like really letting go of patriarchal expectations and like decentering men, decentering beauty. I mean, as much as I love beauty again, which is really liberating yourself. I think it seems scary, but I experience so much more joy because I truly don't give a fuck in some aspects. And I just want other people to have that. Love that. I want- yeah. Looks like, like whenever froze. I see, okay. oh no, I was um. Sometimes I think before I speak. Sorry, like whenever I see a girl, like suffering like that, I just ah, oh, I wish you could, I could make do more than a video on like shake her and be like, wake up, bitch! Like you don't have to live like. <laughs> I feel you though. I feel you, people that I and like wake up, bitch. That's like yeah. I, I feel that same. Yeah, it's like the same thing about like. Once I realized that there was a beauty standard to, that tells black women that they're ugly and that it's not like I'm actually very hot, liberating. Yeah. Really want to just wake other black women up. Like, it's not you. We live in a fucked up system. And once you realize how fucked up it is, like, there's never, you never go back. It only becomes more and more apparent the more educated you become. So I feel like that's also a benefit of my content is even if they don't like me or how I deliver things personally, because some people don't. Um, I hope that it still like sticks in their head and they're able to find someone who can deliver that message in a better way for them, but still like wake up. Yeah. I love that for sure. So I, I kind of want to, just because you, you mentioned, you mentioned being hot. I want to ask you about the, your, um, your TikTok handle. How did you come up? Like, how did you decide on hot weird girl for your, for your TikTok handle? Um, when I downloaded TikTok and like I made my username, I realized that I wanted to start content creation. So I was like, okay, like what are three things that would describe my personal brand? I resonate very strongly with the feminine and being a woman. That's something that's very like, I don't know, an integral part of my identity. I know that I'm really strange, but also I think there's something very powerful, like how Megan the Stallion is like real hot girl shit. Like I think there's something very affirming. Just mm-hmm. being, no, I know what I look like. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so I was just like, find three words, and those are the three words that I think 
define me. And I also thought it was a little funny. It's fun to refer to yourself as hot in the third person. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's cool. I don't know, for whatever reason, it makes me think of, uh, is it Saucy Santana? Who's like, Material Girl? Yes. Yes. That's what it makes me think of. (laughs) Oh, man. I I saw Saucy Santana live. (gasps) You did? I did. I took, so I took my wife, Cassandra, to a Summer Walker concert. It was called A Hot Summer Night in L.A. And it was um, Saucy Santana, not uh, not Dochi. Who was it? Was it Dochi or was it, maybe it was Dochi. Saucy Santana, Dochi, um, Jasmine Sullivan, and Ari Lennox, and like a couple other artists, Alex Vaughn. But yeah, Saucy Santana got up there, performed all his hits, and was twerking on stage, all up on the big screen. And I was like, man, this is this is different for me. But it was fun. I had a good time. <laughs> I love him so much. Me too. <laughs> I, I used to watch. Uh, I used to watch Love is Love and Hip Hop. That's where I first got introduced yeah. to him. Uh, so a little problematic on there, but that's okay. Uh, still love the music. <laughs> he's growing though. He's he's making growth. Right, exactly. And that's what's important. He is so growing. I, sorry, I had a question for you, um, Alexia. I wanted to know, like, how has it been? Like, um, obviously, we, the Black Menaces, we we're content we're content creators, and we know about that. That's just a whole different experience and of its own and then being a black content creator is another thing. What has your experience been like? Um, just like going through the creative process of like being a creator. And then what, what has that been like as you've been producing things as a black content creator and like what you've dealt with on the app and in different challenges, if, if any. I think I really underestimated people's, like how annoyed I would get by people's responses. And I've always loved like, YouTubers. And so I remember watching them and they would always be like, yeah, like some of the comments I get, not necessarily hate comments, can be very annoying. But one specific thing that I deal with is there are white people in my comments who try to tell me about like the black experience or people of color issues condescendingly. Mm. And it's like, do you know whose post you're fucking commenting on? Yeah. it's very, or like, I have ADHD and I talk about that because I have a severe case and I'm very like... Hey, me too. Yeah. Hey, hey me hey. too. <laughs> and I think really, it's really important to see black neurodivergent people because that space on the internet is really dominated by like one type of white neurodivergent person and yes. they have that representation. But that community is so hostile when you try to speak about the black neurodivergent experience or how masking looks or how a black autistic person might behave versus a white autistic person. Like mm-hmm. it may not be an obsession with trains. It may be blurting out song lyrics as a way to like stimulate yourself or playing like music from your phones. I might be, is it clear what I'm saying? Like, you know how sometimes like black people like play their music out loud or something yes. like, and it's like, Oh, you're stimming. Yeah. We weren't given the language to understand that. So I think neurodivergency representation is important. And I just get frustrated seeing white people like attempt to speak over me on my own platform. Mm. Like, cause I can deal with hate comments or people not liking what I post or my delivery. That doesn't really bother me. It's just the audaciousness yeah it goes no bounds Mm -hmm. and sometimes the links that people will go to try and 
and like get under your skin. You know, I, I had a friend who had somebody make like a fake profile and start making like weird AI morphed pictures of them as their profile picture and stuff like that. And it got really weird for a little while. Um, and it's just like, man, the, the, the links that people will go to to try and silence black people or try to make black people feel um, uncomfortable in their own spaces. I feel like it's social media is an interesting place because of that. And you talked about how like the, the white neurodivergent community can be very hostile when it comes to, you know, talking about the experiences of, of people of color in that same that same space. I feel like that kind of goes with a lot of different spaces. You've got kind of a divide, like there's womanism and then there's feminism, right? Where like, yeah. you know, feminism tends to focus more on white women, whereas womanism, if I'm understanding it correctly, you um, are. I don't want to mansplain here, but no. <laughs> but where it just kind of like focuses more on like the, the whole um, like the experience of all women, you know what I mean? So like, I feel like there's kind of that divide in a lot of different places. Yeah, it, it's just so, I think social media has given people access and that makes them think that they have a place in the conversation. And I obviously can't, like some of the content on my page, I guess is for everyone. When I'm talking about like black community issues and then really, I don't even get why you're watching it, but I guess I can't stop you. But like, interacting and being like yeah this happens to white women too like uh, I, I didn't say that obviously but it's not about you right now right. and I, I think people just get too comfortable with the access that they have and they mistake it as like an invitation to come into the space and I feel like an actual ally would be like this isn't my conversation this isn't my fight you know mm-hmm. or not my fight like mind your business yeah right. it's like a fine line between minding your business and and showing support. Yeah. Like I feel that way about like other communities, like like with native women and missing and murdered indigenous women, I would never comment on a post like that mm-hmm. being like, oh yeah, this sort of violence happens with um, other women as well. Like that's not the time or the place. My place is to really like amplify your voice and give you that like space to grieve and grieve with you because I can empathize as a black woman, but it's not my time to talk about it. And there just doesn't seem to be that respect from white audiences. It's, that's the most frustrating thing about making content right now. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And I think probably part of that too is, is that the black experience is so, uh, so powerful. And so what's the word I'm looking for? It's very, like we've always been very open about the different struggles that we have as black people. And then on top of that, we influence everything, like all the culture, like right now, Gen Z is basically just like, if you take nineties black culture and you copy and paste that onto Gen Z, that's pretty much what you have. Like all the the language and the things that they say, and like some of the, the hairstyles and things like that. Um, and so, you know, there's the cultural side of it and people, a lot of people who are not black people have access to the culture and then because they have access to the culture, they think that they have, like, they think that they understand the experience or that they can have that same access to black people's experiences and they don't know how to separate the two. Does that, right. do you think that that kind of, would you agree with that? I think so. I think there's this weird, I've been struggling how to vocalize it. So if I don't get it perfectly, I apologize. But like this, they confuse awareness or like, yeah, kind of what you were saying, like they confuse the awareness about black issues 
as if it's the same thing as my lived experience. And you could read a thousand books. You get a PhD mm. in African studies and any eight-year-old who's been black in America could whoop your ass on anything. And I, there's just like that tension of, I don't know. I don't know how to really verbalize it. But there's something yeah. people are too comfortable just because they're aware of the issues and they're not like minding boundaries. Well, I don't know if you've experienced this at all, but um, when you're, I've, I've found this to be more true in very progressive, highly educated white spaces, mm-hmm. more than I have in like less educated in terms of like awareness of social issues and those type yeah. of things. Yeah. Um, I found that to be the, the situation where I encountered that the most, that feeling of like, because I feel like white people who don't know anything and know they don't know anything are pretty like humble and like, you're right. I don't know anything. Mm-hmm. And versus like white people who know a little bit, they're very quick to be like, no, like I know this. And like, I got into a conversation one time with someone, which I'm not sure if I shared on the podcast before, but you know, they were basically telling me how they, they go to an Ivy league college and they were telling me how, you know, this person is highly intelligent, you know, one of the smartest pe- people I know. And, they were just talking about how like they struggled. They were just telling me how like it's hard at their university because she she was saying how people are very like progressive and like BIPOC students get very like, you know, they're very like loud about certain things that she feels like they shouldn't be loud about because she's like, they're privileged anyway in a certain aspect. And I'm like, okay, true. Like, you know, I'm trying to hear her. I'm like, okay, yeah, like that's true. And then she was like, they just, she's like, well, they'll just ignore what, like, someone who studied this and has, like, super, like, all this knowledge and experience, they'll just, like, throw out what they're saying and say, like, well, I'm a part of this community. For example, I'm a queer person. I'm a queer woman of color. Like, you can't tell me about XYZ because this is my experience. And she's like, she's been saying that she doesn't like that. That is, like, what can trump someone based on like their knowledge or whatever. Uh, I hope this makes sense what I'm saying. Yeah. She, mm-hmm. yeah. she, she had a problem with it pretty much. And like, I had to sit back and I was like, I don't agree. Like, I think that that's true. Like, I think you cannot out learn someone's lived experience. And like, I think there is like this balance though. You know, like I agree, like obviously people have knowledge and experience and like people can't just go around saying, well, my experience is this, if it's totally the opposite of what has been studied, right? Like there's this balance, but at the same time, I'm not going to listen to someone who has only read books about what I lived through. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, I don't like, we need to also have a conversation about that. Like at the end of the day, you know, this conceptually, you know, this as um, theology, you don't know this as like actual experience. If you have privileges that take you outside of that. Yeah. It's, I feel like it's um, like, people who have black lives matter signs in their yard and they don't want to live around other black people. Yeah. Like it's, it's that sort of thing. It's mm-hmm. they're frustrating. I was having this conversation with my friends and my sister this weekend, but I completely agree with what you're saying. How a white person that thinks they know a little bit is somehow more insufferable than a white person. Who's like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'd, I'd rather just deal with the person who just admits that they don't know. Right. I feel like the best way that I can that I can really think about it is like if if you were on a plane, say that say the, something happens to the pilot, right? The pilot can't fly the plane anymore, and then somebody gets on the on the the intercom, 
or not the air, but like somebody gets on the headset and then the air traffic controller is trying to be like, hey, hey, this is how you fly the plane. You know, and they're like, oh, it's fine. It's fine. I read a book about flying. We're good. I know how to do this. Right. It's like, no, you don't know how to do this. Listen to air traffic control. Like they, they know what they're talking about. And I feel like it's the same thing where it's like, yeah, you may have studied it. You may have read about it. But if you haven't lived it, if you don't have that experience, then you're going to have a different point of view. Like you might be able to articulate something, but you're not going to be able to feel it on the level that that a person of color might be able to feel uh, a certain experience or a certain situation. And so I think that that or or, um, or like, you know, as a command is not going to be able to understand something the same way that a woman would be able to understand their experience, all those kinds of things. Right. It all, it all adds up. But, Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I had another question. You had mm-hmm. mentioned this is we're going to kind of pivot again here, but you had mentioned Alexia that you work as an attorney. Do you yes. kind of want to just talk about like what led you to become an attorney, um, and then like what your experience was pursuing that, how it was like going to law school as a black woman, all those things. Um, so I decided I wanted to be an attorney when I was very young. I liked that the law or identifying with I want to be an attorney as I grew up was a way for adults to take me more seriously. And they gave me resources to be able to vocalize myself. And I really credit a lot of how well spoken I am and just my ability to communicate my ideas to the fact that I clung to a legal identity so strongly when I was younger as like Mm. really learning from the best orators and really studying rhetoric. And even though my majors in college were English and psychology, still taking those fundamental communication classes. So when I got to law school, I felt like I was well prepared. The experience of being a black woman at the law school that I went to was horrible. Like, Mm. I went on a full tuition scholarship and there were times that I genuinely questioned if it would have been better to take out student loans than to be there. I graduated in May, but um, it also didn't help that I went to a religious school, which naturally drew in very conservative people. I remember I had a white kid in my class admit that he was nervous about how big the black population was in my class. There were 12 of us. Out of how many? Out of 90 people that, that started in the class. Wild. I think it was, yeah, it was about 90 people in the class that year, maybe give or take 10. So that was a crazy thing. Also, he was from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. There is a black population there. So I also wasn't sure how that worked. Um, but it was just very, like, I remember going through the criminal law classes and when you go to law school, you read like vignettes or little case law um, to kind of help you like identify fact problems. And suddenly when it came to criminal law, everyone's named him. Uh, okay. You, you really had to name him that or like listening to my classmates' perspectives on poverty, which was so coded in race. Like they were like, yeah. well, people, those people, they just don't have the same ethos of working hard and then having to be like, yeah, clarify what those people look like. Mm. And it was also kind of a terrifying experience to realize that people who are getting the same legal education and would be able to call themselves Esquires were so biased. Yeah. Like I classmates who were bragging about taking baseball bats and going and marching in the street um, because I was entering my second year when the Black Lives Matter and George Floyd's murder and Breonna Taylor's murder became like public knowledge and people started 
you know, caring. Mm-hmm. And so that was very difficult to just kind of not only have to be a spokesperson, but to feel that burden. I would say that <clears throat> anyone who's in the position of going to a PWI for law school, like cling to your black classmates, because I still have such a tight bond with them. Yeah, I'm sure. We like the trauma bonding, but it really brought us together. And I will say that like, I have white friends from that experience and some of them were, you know, like down with the ground used to make fun of them. <laughs> but honestly, like there were people who just wouldn't make eye contact with me or they would make eye contact with me because of how I talked with them. You know, my friends with dreads who had more of a different accent, like they were kind of wary of them. Mm. And so that was also like being tokenized because I could fit the bill of what's more respectable mm-hmm. that label made some white people find me powerful. And it's like, yeah, jokes on you. I'm really not. Mm. So I'm glad to be out of that experience. I'm glad that I have the degree. I would not recommend going to a PWI if you're black and watching this, like really try to go to one of the HBCUs. It's just so much better. Because the other problem that I encountered is I graduated in a city where it would have been very difficult for me to practice professionally. Mm. So having to move to a different city, I live in Philly now. And then just for the first time, like working with black people in the office, working with more than one black judge, really think about carefully where you go to law school, if that's an area you can thrive in as a black professional. And unfortunately, unless you're living in one of the major cities, that answer is going to be no. Hmm. That makes yep. sense. This is true. Yep. Yeah, and the, honestly, we can relate to a lot of the things that you're saying. Also, having gone to a very conservative religious school, um, you know, I'm sure it's probably like a little bit of a different, or like a, you know, some differences being East Coast versus West Coast. But I mean, same thing. It attracts extremely conservative people, and then here, there's like the added, the added factor of of utah being such a high lds population so you've got a lot of very conservative lds people and that just kind of like adds this this interesting level of 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 being sheltered from the world but yeah it sounds like you know in a lot of ways going to a pwi no matter where it is as a as a person of color you're going to have a similar experience um, and have to to really kind of work through that so but kudos to you it's amazing that you got your degree and got out of there so congratulations Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting what you said about being sheltered. Because one thing I've noticed about the type of white person is they'll have traveled the world, they'll have all these experiences, but the one thing they're sheltered from is black people. And it's like you were segregated. <laughs> yeah. You, know, like, you never questioned why your parents took you to Prague, but they didn't take you to a certain side of the city. Mm. Like I don't know. That's this is why I always tell, um, I've told Nate this before, I've talked about it. I have just very strong feelings about progressive, liberal, rich white people. And it's not a bad thing. I just grew up interacting with a lot, because I grew up in Chicago. Mm-hmm. So, like, everyone is pretty progressive. You know what I mean? Like, all the white people would agree with that, you know, whatever. And then going to a school with, like, a lot of, I went to school with a lot of rich kids. Um, just because you had to test to get in and we know higher education, higher SES, okay? Um, and just seeing how these people who would be self-proclaimed like left 
very strong people actually are very um their bias shows through every interaction you have with them you know what i mean just mm-hmm. small little things especially growing up in a surrogated city like chicago um and so i just have very strong feelings about these types of people because <laughs> they literally they're very not self-reflective um they feel like they have had these diverse experiences because their money has granted them access to like places mm-hmm. and like they they like feel above though at the same time like it's just this like weird combination that I just choose to not engage with anymore because it just gave me a headache for so long that I was like I I like you said I'd rather deal with more humble people who know that they have not had interactions or with people that are different than them they know that and they're willing to admit that and step step in that discomfort rather than like I went on a humanitarian trip my sophomore year to oh this random his country in Central America and like you know what I mean like th- those are the yeah. kids I went to high, like I went to high school with those kind of kids right mm-hmm. like you know and so they feel like they are these like socially aware people and that they're contributing to the world and it's like well you're not looking at how the fact that you're afraid to go past the South Loop where all the black people live in Chicago but like you know what I mean like the right. experiences I had so I just it's the hip- hypocrisy and like. I just can't deal with it. And I have like, I've mentally checked out from those people. Like when I see I'm dealing with those kind of people, I mentally check out genuinely. (laughs) I think we had similar experiences growing up. And I also have just completely checked out. I think the last good faith conversation I had was my friend was like, yeah, you know, my parents aren't racist. And I was like, the first time you ever had black friends is when you were 18 in college and not living under your parents' roof. Dwell on that. Mm -hmm. She did. But, you know, you really got to sit with that. Like, it's just back to what Rachel was saying. Like, you have this air of superiority mm-hmm. over other, like, non-progressive white people. But you are just as bad. At least they know that they don't know. Yeah. yeah. And to the listeners, this is... I love having these kind of conversations, right, with the Black men and say they're just, like, different things because this is what we talk about on our free time, right? Like, mm-hmm. if you are a white person listening in, this is an opportunity for you to think, like, how do I subscribe to this? How am I playing into this? And, like, do a self-check. Because we, as Black people, we feel this way all the time. We talk about this all the time. And these are conversations. These are known thoughts and feelings amongst us. And we just invite you to think about how this is, how you fit in this? Where are you in this equation of things that we're talking about? And how can you not be the person that we're talking about right now if you feel like you fit the mold? Mm. Right. And then also, are you doing the emotional labor of checking yourself and not just walking up to your one black friend and being like, have I ever microaggressed you? Yeah. <laughs> Did you have that happen? Um, because I went to a very white high school, like there were less than 10 black kids in the building, another harrowing, horrible experience. Um, a people from high school when George Floyd's murder was circulating, who I hadn't spoken to in years were like, Hey, Alexia, um, I just wanted to reach out and say that if I ever made you uncomfortable in high school, like, Oh, how? So I would send them my cash app. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> answer their text but like so dead years and be like was i ever racist to you probably and we're not going to talk about it like you must figure yeah. out <laughs> love that true i love that love that and they don't even have cash app they're all 
why do we use Venmo? I use Venmo. That's the Caucasian in me. Not just kidding. <laughs> I don't like to ever see your business. That's what I don't trust. That's true. Yeah, that part is weird. I make all my transactions private because why do you need to know that I sent somebody money for pizza? That's just weird. This is true. But that's a topic for a whole other time. The weirdness of Venmo. Well, um, I think that's about all we had as far as questions. Thank you, Alexia, so much for coming on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The last thing we got is our recommendations. We always end out the show with a recommendation. So let me see. Yes. I can go first this week. And I'm okay. just going to re-recommend i don't know if that's a word but i'm going to recommend again because it goes with the conversation today um that if you are listening that you take a moment to read the book nice racism by robin d'angelo um and you know she's not saying anything that has not been said before and she is very quick to point that out in the the beginning of her book that she is building off of the work of of writers such as uh zora neale hurst am i saying that right zora neale hurston uh, mm-hmm. Maya Angelou, um, James Baldwin, or many others. But she talks about kind of what we talked about today, how white progressives tend to do more harm to black people than just straight up racists because they spend more time interacting with people of color. Um, but the ways in which they interact can be very harmful and, de- and a detriment. And she talks about uh, solutions to that problem. So read the book Nice Racism or listen to it on audiobook or on Audible or what have you. Yes. Okay, my recommendation for this week, I was thinking about this yesterday and I'm like, now that I'm out of school and like just enjoying who I am as an individual, um, I am very much into buying soap. I don't know what is into me right now. I just, I'm like, that is my TikTok is like, buy this soap and I'm hella influenced hella easily, but like, it's good. It's good experiences because I, it's helping my skin. Like this is the best, my, my body, not my face, my body has ever been. It's very nice. So I highly recommend getting an African net sponge. I just got one of those a couple weeks ago and. Oh, Sapo. Sure. Oh, that's what it's called. Yes. Let's go with that. I love it. It has changed my life. They are, I never knew about them. I was dying because I was telling um, my boyfriend about it and he was going to And I was like, oh my, <laughs> I was like, oh, my. <laughs> guys, I'm dying because I was like, oh my gosh, like I got, you should get one. And he's like, Rachel, I've had it my entire life. That <laughs> <laughs> thing will so exfoliate fun. you. No, literally. Man. Anyway, I recommend getting it and I recommend investing in like, I know that my finances allow me to do this right now. So if you can't do what you can and enjoy what you can get, why? Cause that's what I did. Um, so I recognize I have privilege right now buying $10 soap for no reason. Um, mm-hmm. But an African nut sponge is not expensive and it can definitely like improve your skin because it just exfoliates you very well. And my legs have never been this soft in my entire life. I promise you guys. So that is my recommendation with summer coming up, hot girl summer, hot boy summer, hot, body summer we are going to be outside and i want to see those legs looking nice mm, don't that, get caught that, ashy. <laughs> I love it. all right alexia what you recommend I recommend anything oh anything anything i'm recommending soap so <laughs> eat more peanut butter i think we need to normalize whatever I hate to use that word but like Peanut butter is one of the greatest foods for you. It's got proteins. It's got healthy fats. Mm -hmm. You can 
make no like health fitness actually disgusting recipes but if you take plain greek yogurt and you just put a teaspoon of honey and then a teaspoon of peanut butter and you mix it up you put that john in the fridge for like five ten minutes it tastes like ice cream that's the only thing i've eaten today it's the only thing i'll eat tomorrow it's the only thing i've eaten for weeks if we're really recommending anything <laughs> give it a chance and try hey, it i'm gonna do that it's so high protein. It's, Wait, so you said Greek yogurt, like is vanilla flavored or? Well, just plain. Plain, okay. Yeah, plain, unsweetened. I just, I had a Greek yogurt parfait today and I threw some chocolate chips in there, but I'll have to try I love a parfait. Sebastian also posted something in his story about Greek. Did you see? The, he posted like some yogurt thing. So everyone's on yogurt right now. I don't know what's up with that, but. Oh, Greek I, yogurt is fire. It is, it's unstoppable. It's good for your gut. Mm -hmm. Like. I, I thought I had to give a more serious recommendation, but truly, no, it's that's a great recommendation. I'm about to go make that. Right, you I'm, think I'm playing? That's what no, I'm it's, for dessert tonight. It's, mm, mm. I mean, not that you should ever feel guilt when feeling food, but I feel like the most healthy girl in the world because I'm like, oh, look at me. Yeah. 30 something protein. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> so, your recommendation is to eat peanut butter and Greek eat yogurt. Eat peanut butter and Greek yogurt together with a spoonful of L-glutamine. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I guess a more serious recommendation would be if you're struggling to find something to make your life interesting, just switch up your daily routine. Start with little mundane tasks like driving a different way to work or talking to a new coworker, and then watch how quickly like breaking out of the mundane spirals into something interesting. Mm -hmm. How in my post-grad period, I was able to like cultivate a life that I'm really happy with is just doing new little changes every day. And then you'll have a whole interesting routine or maybe no routine at all. And that's really fun too. I love that. Like love. Three times a day. Yes. <laughs> Solid recommendations. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Alexia. Hot, weird girl. The podcast. We appreciate you being on. Yeah. I really appreciate you guys having me. I had a lot of fun. Yes. All right. That's all we got for this week. Okay. We'll catch y'all next week. Thank you for joining us on the Black Menace podcast today. Make sure to follow us on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter at the Black Menaces. And make sure to subscribe to our Patreon, the Menace Society, where you can get bonus content from us on the podcast, as well as extra clips from our videos that we film. And don't forget to email us at blackmenacepodcast at gmail.com for menace moments or any other questions that you want us to answer because this show is for you guys thank you and remember always be a menace thank you <laughs>